Welcome to Remember, a podcast about building community. I'm Carla Salter. Hello, everyone. Happy Black History Month. Happy bright and sunny February day. Well, at least it's bright and sunny in my neck of the woods. I hope the weather is treating you well wherever you are. My guest for episode six is Tim Lennon, executive director of the brand new nonprofit Langston Seattle. Langston's tagline is cultivating black brilliance, and its purpose is to build community among black folks in Seattle through art. Sold. Langston is housed in the Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute which for those of you who've never visited, is a beautiful facility in the Central District neighborhood. For the past 40 years, Langston Hughes, or LHPAI, has been run by the City of Seattle and has served as a performance and gathering space for Black art and artists. There's actually a variety of programming in this space, but its purpose and focus has always been as a venue for Black art. LHPAI has been home to many beloved and well-known programs, including the Langston Hughes African American Film Festival, which is coming up in April, and the absolutely amazing and wonderful Teen Summer Musical, and is a huge asset to the Central District and the entire city of Seattle. After 40 years, the city has decided to stop managing the programming that happens at Langston Hughes. Though the city will continue to manage the facility, it will hand over control of the programming to the community through the nonprofit Langston. So Langston, the nonprofit, will work with the community to determine the programming that happens in Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute, the building. Tim, who just started in his role as the new director last month, is well suited to lead this effort. He has worked in the art world in a number of capacities at Elliott Bay Book Company, the Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, and most recently as the director of the Veer Project, an all-ages youth arts organization. Tim has spent his career bringing people together around art, through book events and music shows and in lots of other ways, and he is also very connected and deeply invested in the health and future of this city. I really wanted to pick his brain about how we build community through art and what he envisions for the future of Langston. So with that, my conversation with Tim Lennon. Okay, welcome, Tim. Thank you for agreeing to talk to me today. Glad to be here. So I'm going to start our discussion with my standard question, which is what does community mean to you? Community is the the people with whom you share a special connection, and that can be pop culture scene, it can be family, it can be neighborhood, uh, it can be deeper historical cultural connections, uh, but it's the the people with whom you share more than just physical proximity. So you came to Seattle roughly 20 years ago. What was it about this place that made you decide to call it home? What made you want to stay here? You know, my um, girlfriend at the time, wife now, and I moved out here uh, in 2001, um, with the full expectation that we would only be here for a year, maybe two years, um, we're going to save up money and move to a real city. Um, <clears throat> we were hoping to go to Oakland or Brooklyn or somewhere uh, with a little more cachet than Seattle. Um, but we found ourselves four years later still here, still together, and at that point had sort of 
found a found a home, found a community here, and so we decided to set down roots. Um, we we decided to get married and and start a family here and and really call it home. And so it, it kind of snuck up on us. It was never our intention to be here very long. And uh, as I found, it's happened with a lot of our friends who've moved here from Hawaii. That um, all of a sudden you realize many years have gone by and we're still here. And and, and more importantly, we we started to thrive and, and build real um, professional and personal connections and relationships that we wouldn't have been able to do anywhere else. I think. So I have a couple of questions to follow that up. So do you think it was the people that drew you or the fact that Seattle was kind of a smaller, not a quote, real city so that you were able <laughs> to build a network maybe more easily than you would have in a bigger or more well-known city at I think that was part of it. I think there's something unique about Seattle, though, where folks who have just even an iota of ambition or some crazy idea that they want to try out are really encouraged to pursue that and support it in ways that um, are unique in the city. I think that you know, if you have any kind of crazy idea and you mention it to five people, one of those people will introduce you to the mayor of that idea and you'll sit down to coffee with them and have access to, to folks in sort of less... Less gatekeeping here. Um, mm-hmm. There's less less barriers to entry in, in every aspect of, of life here in Seattle than in other cities, um, especially in older cities. And so I think it's that was really the driving force behind it. It's something that, thankfully, I feel like Seattle has retained. Well, that's an interesting answer that I didn't expect, but I actually it resonates a lot with me. Yeah, there are just people who are like, oh, you want to do something like that? Okay, well, I know somebody who does something else kind of like that, and I'll introduce you to them. And, can take it from there. I think that Seattle's always struggled with this tension between great innovations and um, new discoveries on the one hand, and a lot of folks who just want to chill and not really do anything much. Uh, and that goes back you know, over 100 years. Yeah. People just kind of wanted to be left alone and uh, happy to let you do your thing. But that's created opportunities for folks to really um, try new and challenging things. And certainly back then, it was a lot more affordable to just hang out try weird things yeah. and so that's something that I worry about with the city but I think that overall it's been pretty consistent throughout Seattle's history that folks are able to tackle new projects and also I think part of you know this the size of the city has helped in that there's no there aren't enough numbers in any community whether it's community practice or you know black folks or Japanese folks or what have you there's not enough numbers to make those communities totally insular a lot of cross-pollination, there's a lot of yeah. collaboration um, because there's just not enough people to have one scene going alone. Um, okay, so you've been involved in the arts for essentially as long as you've lived in Seattle and probably mm-hmm. longer, I'm assuming longer. Uh, so how do art and community intersect? I think art is community. Um, or Well, art creates community. I think the, the way that audiences... Um, interact with the work of an artist across any genre and builds community. There's no other context outside of sports where you have people from all different backgrounds all enjoying or, or interacting with or engaging with um, one common experience in the same place and time. And so I think the, you know, the, the power of art is to bring people together, to explore new perspectives, to, to hopefully gain some empathy with other people's worldviews, but um, more critically, just to be together and 
learning the you know learning from not only the the context of the art that they were presenting but the context of their shared experience of it is a community building do you feel like there's certain art forms that are more conducive to that like i know that you've been in the music <clears throat> world for a while which seems like a really good way to bring people from different backgrounds together whereas maybe a book maybe yeah, i mean there I mean, are ways obviously to build community around literature I think that, yeah, there, there are always, I got my start in Seattle in, in the literary world, doing literary events um, with bookstores here, and I think that those are a great example of, a book, reading a book is a very solitary experience, um, but when you get together with other folks who've read that book, or just have an interest in that author or that story or the, you know, the, the subject matter, they, you end up interacting with one another more than you do with the original text, and that creates community. I think that... You know, the experience of seeing a live performance, whether that's music or dance or performance art or spoken word stuff, it's that audience experience. It's that opportunity to engage with one person's perspective collectively as an audience that, that builds the community. So I don't, I don't know if there's any one art form that's more or less, I think it's the context in which, in which it's presented um, and the opportunities that people have to interact with one another as well as the art to create it. So you're the first executive director of Langston <clears throat> Seattle, which is a brand new nonprofit. So can you just tell us a little about Langston's work? Uh, well, really more how and why Langston came into being. So Langston <laughs> is a brand new uh, nonprofit, independent nonprofit, arts organization, uh, presenting organization. We were born out of about a five-year process of the city trying to separate the programming aspects from the facility of Langston's Performing Arts Institute. Um, for 40 plus years in the Central District, this place has produced and presented all kinds of amazing programs, hosted workshops, classes, um, the Teen Summer Musical, Film Festival, but all that was done entirely by city staff, or coordinated entirely by city staff. And at some point, the city decided that it wanted to get out of the business of producing art really to get out of the way of producing art and, and let the folks in the creative world handle that aspect of the business and to focus on what the city does best, which is maintaining these beautiful facilities. And so the Office of Arts convened every possible stakeholder under the sun in a very long series of uh, engagement sessions and meetings and planning strategy sessions. A little bit of the Seattle press process, but, it, but I, I do want to say that it was extremely respectful of the legacy of this place. and They, they took the time to do it right. It wasn't a, a case of a bunch of public hearings about what we should do with this place or, or presenting to the public what the city's plan was for it. It was really like, let's determine together what it's going to be. Okay. And so uh, it took a long time, uh, but I think at the end of the day, it was definitely worth it because what we came away with was a, a great operating agreement with the city that you know, the city maintains the rental program and the maintenance and operations and the stage tech side of things. Um, which is all very much in their wheelhouse, as they've done with other facilities. But they're letting the community determine what programming they're going to see here um, by way of us. So we take that responsibility very seriously, but it's a really great opportunity for Langston, the nonprofit, to engage with the community on a peer-to-peer relationship. And it's not the government saying, here's what you can and can't do in our space. It's like, we have access to this space. Let's build some really strong programming together. Is Langston Hughes the only building that 
now has a relationship like this with the city, an independent nonprofit, and um, and uh, the facility managed by the city. You know, our current status is a little bit unique in the city, but it's heading in the direction of, or, or potentially could head in the direction of several organizations throughout the city that have been in this model. The Parks Department originally ran Links and Blues, um, wholly with Parks Department employees before it transferred over to the Office of Arts. But Parks still maintains the Pratt Fine Arts Center, the Seward Park Pottery Studio, the uh, Spectrum Dance Theater's Madronas Park Studio, um, in partnership with those nonprofits that run all the programming. So the city owns the facilities, but an independent nonprofit runs everything that happens inside those walls. Okay. And Seattle Center is another great model of that. Every building at Seattle Center is owned by the city, but there's 30 some odd arts nonprofits that run everything that happens inside. Okay, so this is just sort of another instance of this same sort of collaboration? It's heading in that direction. Like at this point, we're still sort of um, we're still working hand in hand with the city in terms okay. of what's happening inside the building. Um, there's a lot of programming that's happening on the stage at Links News right now. That's either a private rental or it's a facility grant, office of arts and culture. While this process was going on, opened the doors to anybody in the community, <clears throat> excuse me, who wanted to present art of all kinds, but especially uh, encouraged to do black-centered art in the space. And so they've offered a, a range of discounts and. and granting out even whole use of the space for periods of time um, while this transition process was going on. So there's a lot of that still in the books. Um, and we're not the only organization in the building at the moment. There's also the Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas yeah. and the Historic Central Area Arts and Culture District. So it, do you think there's a particular need for black people in Seattle to come together around art? Yes. I'm sorry. Can you <laughs> I couldn't please? resist. I couldn't resist. <laughs> Um, no, absolutely. There's a need for that. Um, it's I don't, <clears throat> I don't even want to present it as is, is there a need? Like that's that's a job to fulfill. That's a, a natural. That's a natural state. We come together through the arts and culture. Like that, that's just what we do. It's what we've always done. Um, we create so much out of. We have created so much out of so little um, for as long as we've been on this continent. And I think that um, the unique role opportunity that we have um, at Langston is to really open up the doors to this space again and make this uh, available and accessible for folks who are out there creating stuff today. I mean, we're not necessarily going to be creating a bunch of original stuff ourselves. Um, there's only two of us on staff and at least one of us, myself, is not that talented. <laughs> but um, we want to we want to work with all of the artists that are producing great stuff and don't have access to the space to present in front of audiences, don't have spaces to rehearse and to practice in. And so I think that um, do, do black folks need to get together and, uh, through the arts? Yes, they do. Um, I just want to encourage folks to do it here. Mm-hmm. I guess that kind of leads really, really well into my next question, which I, I always, I'm always asking this question to myself and others, which is, can you have community without proximity? There is no longer a physical black community in Seattle. We don't have the proximity. We're scattered all over the region. And I feel like we're quickly even losing our spiritual and cultural center, you know, what we used to have, landmarks and places where people gathered. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's what you see Langston serving in that role, sort of as cultural and spiritual center for such a small population. That is so dispersed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the the 
the scenario is sort of flipped on its head from from when this from when this building was established as an arts center forty some years ago. Um, at that point, we had a very dense, concentrated community of Black folks, um, all within walking distance of the building, who who just needed a performance venue and a, a cultural space that could be easily accessed by everybody on the blocks that surrounded the building. Um, now we have the opposite problem where we have this space, but everybody is super spread out. Um, and I think that, as we've seen with every church in the neighborhood, which are still thriving on Sundays, um, people will come for community, they'll come for fellowship, they'll come to engage in the cultural practices, traditions that define us. Um, and so I think that what we have to offer is another, we have, what we have to offer is another place, another site for non-religious gatherings, um, for the, those other needs that we have as a community to get together and, and enjoy our work, our, our history, our culture, and one another. And so I think that um, the the fact that we are so spread out is um, it's a challenge, but it's also not at all insurmountable. There's I think what we what we're aiming to do is create a reason for folks to come back to the neighborhood um, and for folks that still think of the neighborhood as the cultural center of the black community, even if none of us live here anymore, or very few of us live here anymore. And critically, I mean, we're still here. There are still black people in the central district. Um, There's a higher percentage of black people in South Seattle and in the central district than anywhere else in Washington. So even though it's not quite as dense as it used to be, it's still... We're still in the blackest part of the Northwest, <laughs> and so I want to remind folks that we are still here, and, and the folks that have had to move out to the suburbs, um, that there's still a reason for us to call this home, even if we don't live here. It's February, which mm-hmm. is Black History Month, and I'm wondering if you see, or what role you think history plays in community. We've it's come up a little bit already in our discussion. History is, is really important. We need to know where we've come from to really understand why things are the way they are now, um, to learn from the, the successes and failures of our ancestors, and to identify past approaches to current problems that might you know, be we might be able to dust off and use again. Um, I think that there's always a danger of holding on too tight to the history, of not, um, not letting go of past practices, past beefs, um, but I think that it's really critical that we embrace all of us, um, past and present, and the totality of our experience as a community, and that informs all of the work that we do, certainly in the creative sphere, everyone's perspective as an artist is shaped by where they've come from and what they've gone through, and so I think that history is ever-present. Um, I worry about this becoming, uh, you know, the the central district becoming sort of a museum to black people that used to live here um, for white people who live here now. But um, I think that the, the moment that we have right now with honestly, there's like so many amazing black artists doing really profound work here in the city um, and the opportunity to present some of that here and to nurture the next generation of artists here um, will definitely prevent us from dwelling too much on the past while still being firmly rooted in the community. I think that the arts create a few pathways to, to policy change and, and social change. It's a 
it's a hard slog in getting the city to getting this city especially to do anything quickly and uh, efficiently is difficult but I mean, at its heart the arts are about imagining other worlds and, and so if we're going to be envisioning re-envisioning what the central area can be um, to be more inclusive to be more protective of what built this neighborhood um, we built this neighborhood um, but I think the arts have a role to play in that and in a way, you know, that's not just looking to the past. It's like, let's imagine a future where we can all afford to live here. Let's imagine a future where um, minority-owned businesses can thrive here. Art audiences tend to be older and more educated than the general population. How will Langston reach out to and serve as a home for all Black people? Well, I'll push back a little bit on the framing of the question, because okay. I think that arts audiences are all ages. Everybody who listens to music or watches Netflix or um, goes to a play or what have you, um, there's no, I think arts patrons, arts donors, like they're older, they're, they're wealthier and they're whiter. Um, but in terms of audiences and in terms of artists themselves, um, they come from every walk of life. For our venue, uh, how do we ensure that it's, it's a place for all black folks in the region? It's as simple as having artists that represent all you know all, all parts of our community from all over the region, um, giving them an opportunity that, frankly, a lot of the white arts organizations haven't historically done. And there's a lot of great work that happens in, in white houses and white venues, um, but taking a chance um, on new artists, giving artists time to develop their work is something that a lot of the larger institutions and wider institutions can't afford to do, um, mm. if, even if they have the motivation to do so or the, the desire to do so. Um, and I think it's also, we're in February, it's Black History Month. Um, a lot of the major arts institutions run by white folks um, bring out their one black show of the year this month. Um, all of our shows are going to be black shows <laughs> all year round. And so just on volume, we're going to beat the competition uh, in some ways. But... So we have a lot of variety. We have a variety of things, and that, I mean that's the that's the challenge too. We're not going to be able to be everything for everybody all the time, but we are definitely endeavoring to have all kinds of you know, all genres represented. Things for the elders, things for the youth, um, critically things by elders and by youth, uh, which is really important to have voices that are not necessarily always included in the thing like you know, the capital A arts. Um, but we want to have, we, we recognize um, to an extent that I think our white neighbors and, and peer institutions sometimes fail to do that the black community is not a monolith. There are engineers that just moved to Seattle working at Amazon who are super into like, video game culture um, that I want to have going to events here that cater to that scene just as much as I want to have spoken word artists and you know, youth hip-hop MCs and um, folks who are telling their stories of the struggle back in the 60s and everything in between all represented in the space. There's not enough opportunities for Black audiences to see the breadth and depth of our community in one place. And so I want us to have you know, queer theater projects happening here and Black rock and roll shows happening here and workshops on African dance happening all at the same time. Some people are, you know, have 
MFAs in, in performance art or have been have shown their paintings in, in world famous museums and other folks are just good at putting together a few bars and like that's all black art. Is there anything that you want to say that we didn't ask you about? You know, the one thing that um, the one thing that I, I'm wanting to explore is how we at Langston and, and in this space, in this neighborhood, um, can be a more proactive part of the conversation around the changing face of this neighborhood. Um, is there a way we can leverage our level of access with the city, our you know, long historical partnership with various city departments to push from the inside for creating more cultural space, creating more affordable housing, creating housing for the artists that, you know, made the CD famous. I mean, there's a lot of folks who um, were world-renowned stars who can now barely afford to live in the neighborhood anymore. And so it's, um, I'm really looking forward to finding ways to engage with the folks of the city, to engage with other, other organizations like ours um, in other cities and see how they've dealt with the, the changing natures of their neighborhoods. What's happening in the CD is not unique to Seattle. It's happening all over the country. And whether it's Oakland or Detroit or Chicago or Indianapolis or wherever, like people are getting displaced out of the central cities. Um, black folks are getting moved out of neighborhoods that they were forced to live in for decades. And losing that cultural home, um, in addition to their actual physical homes, their houses. Right. Um, and so this is a challenge is that people um, can develop a network of organizations and institutions and activists and um, even academics and, and figure out new new models for creating, uh, for leveraging the sort of cultural wealth that we have to sort of offset the financial deficits that we face and the opportunities that we're missing out on. And that actually goes back to what you said earlier about what drew you to Seattle is that this is a place where if you have great ideas and energy, it's a it's a good place to be to sort of try new things. Yeah, and, and there's a real desire, I think, on the part of city government to experiment and try things. I mean, we were at an event last night where uh, looking at the, the changing nature of this neighborhood and uh, beautiful film exploring the challenges that long term residents face and the unique policy opportunity that the city is exploring in terms of developing more affordable housing and, and dealing with displacement issues. And apparently the rest of the nation looks to Seattle as a leader and innovator in solving these problems. And anybody who lives in this neighborhood can tell you we've got a long way to go before yeah. it's actually feels like we're doing a good job. But I think the city is very aware that its reputation um, as an innovator and as a leader on these policy issues only goes as far as the data of who's actually still living here and who actually can afford to, to be here. And they're very, I think they're very earnest in, in wanting to figure this out. Uh, and I think that arts organizations, arts institutions, and just creative people in general in this neighborhood are a resource that, that the city is underutilizing right now to help envision what the best solutions are.